The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. We're in a series called Unfriended, so we'll get to Romans 8 here in a moment. But I remember quite some time ago, quite a few years ago, um, I became friends with somebody that I spent some time with, hanging out with, getting to know a bit. And as time went on, just a little bit of time, but as time went on, there were certain things about their life and their story that kind of didn't add up. And, and uh, it, it, there was moments where I'm like, that's not what he said before about what happened back when or, or whatever it was. And at one point, his wife texted me about somewhere we had been hanging out a few days before. And when I received this text, I read it and I was so taken back. Here's why. Because we, didn't, we weren't there before. We weren't hanging out before. He had claimed to his wife that we were somewhere like three days before I got the text. And I said to her, um, three days ago, I was not there. And I don't know what he's talking about. And I confronted him about it. And he tried to convince me that I forgot. And I was like, I, I was not where you're saying we apparently were. And I don't know what's going on here, but this isn't making sense. And I continued to confront him. And it turns out he was a compulsive liar. And, and I don't know if you've ever been around people like that. They spin tales and they say all kinds of things. And pretty soon you're like, this is like the twilight zone, you know? And um, needless to say, obviously that friendship ended pretty quickly after that. But I, I think for most of us, we've, we've either encountered individuals that are, are like that, maybe that severe, or we've at least been around people that we thought were our friends, only to find out maybe through betrayal or certain lies or ways that they do life that you kind of go, I don't do life like that. And that's not going to work for me, that, that there's certain people that aren't really our friends. Now, I would say the same thing is true when I think of my journey of following Christ. When I gave my life to Christ, I had all kinds of patterns in my life, and, and I'm sure you did as well, that kind of led a certain direction. And then, like for me, when the light came on and I realized, you know, the cross and, and the power of Jesus and the work of the Spirit, that, that I didn't understand everything immediately. You know, if you've ever seen The Matrix and, you know, download all of this information and all of a sudden Keanu Reeves understands something amazing. Um, my faith wasn't like that. It was a journey of, of surrendering to Jesus and then learning through a steady diet of reading scripture, through having mentors in my life that challenged me in discipleship, through gathering and learning and taking notes on, on Sundays like this, um, what God wanted. And what I realized was um, I've got all kinds of patterns that I needed to unfriend. And that's been kind of the idea of this entire series is there are a lot of things in our lives that we need to unfriend. And sometimes it's friends, but sometimes it's things that we believe or things that we do that, that literally God through his spirit in various ways is saying that stuff is not good for you. That stuff is not healthy. That stuff is not true or right or, you know, whatever that might be. And it's time to unfriend those things. And today I'm really, really excited about our topic because there's so much going on in our world. And even as we sit here, I can admit, and I'm just going to be transparent with you, it can feel very deflating to go, we got to remove a bunch of rows and we got to put signs between people so that they're six feet apart and we're asking everyone to wear masks. And I don't think there's anybody in here that wants to wear a mask. Like, hey, give me a mask. I would love to, you know, that we're all like, this isn't necessarily amazing. And yet... We've got to force ourselves to look a bit differently and to think a bit differently in this season because there's something that Paul reminds us of that we are challenged over and over in Scripture to hold on to. Romans 8 brings us to this conversation. Paul says in Romans 8, starting at 22, 8 verse 22, we know 
That the whole creation has been groaning as in the days or as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have. But, verse 25, if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. God, open our hearts wide. Do something in us that, God, this battle that we face that Paul says in, in, uh, in Ephesians is a spiritual battle that he describes in Corinthians as waging war in, in the spiritual realm, that there's something that can get a hold of us. There's something that, that we even feel a sense of, well, this is where life's going, so it's what I'm fixated on, but we're losing our ability to lean into you. God, break that in all of us as we fight the good fight. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul starts in here at verse 22 and says this, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. In, in a nutshell, what Paul is saying is, in this world that's fallen, in this world that's given over to what we would call original sin, the issue of sin throughout the world, throughout all of us, in the midst of this broken world, we all experience this sense of groaning. This sense of things are not as they should be. This sense of, man, th 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 things don't look good, things don't feel good, there's anxiety, there's tension, there's wars, there's back, all this stuff that goes on, Paul says, that's normal. And then he takes it a step further in verse 23 by saying this, not only so, in this world in general, but even more specifically, within we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So he says, the whole world groans because of the issue of sin and what sin does to society. But he, but he, he admits, but we also, those that have the Spirit, those that would call themselves followers of Christ, we also groan inwardly. But he says, as we wait eagerly for the adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. What he's saying is, look, just because we're in Christ doesn't mean we don't suffer. Doesn't mean we don't see the same things that can be so deflating and, and, and so, so frustrating and so overwhelming, but we do it with a different perspective. And this is where, man, if I could do backflips down the aisle to help you understand, if I could somehow communicate this in a way that opens everyone's eyes, that's what I'm praying for today. That, that he's getting to a point here that I hope would set every single one of us free. He says, we've grown too. We have the first fruits of the Spirit as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons or to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. He's saying that, yes, we groan, but we do it differently. We have a different perspective. We see differently than, than just the sense of futility that goes on in our world. He says we, we wait eagerly. There's a sense of expectation. Can I ask you a simple question? 
What is it right now in this crazy world that you're still eagerly anticipating? What is it right now that you're still holding out hope for in a world that can seem like everything is hopeless? What is it for you? Think about it for a moment. Dwell on that for a second. Because Paul says you and I ought to be people of hope. That you and I need to unfriend hopelessness. That's not where we live. That's not where we camp out. That's not what we hang our hat on. There's lots of anxiety. There's lots of divisiveness. There's lots of political stuff happening. There's lots of race things going on. There's lots of people backbiting and being divisive against each other constantly right now. And we hole up and we're forced to distance. All this stuff goes on and we go home and go, everything is hopeless. Except that the Holy Spirit inside of us ought to create something that says, even still, I'm going to hope. Even still, I'm going to hold on to something through the Holy Spirit that there's better things ahead. So then he says this, for in this hope, we were saved. Paul is saying the hope that we ought to be able to hold on to every day, every day, is something that we received when we heard the message of Christ, the power of the cross, the forgiveness offered to us through the sacrifice of Jesus. That when you and I said, yes, I believe that, that I can have a new beginning through what Jesus did for me. And I believe I can have a new start because of who he is. He's literally saying you and I were infused automatically with hope. So it goes back to the question I asked you a few minutes ago. What is it that you're anticipating? What are you eagerly expecting in a world that says, don't expect anything, it's going to hell in a handbasket? Pardon my French. Which, by the way, that's not even French, that was English. <laughs> Just saying. But he says, in this hope, we were saved. We are not hopeless. Hopelessness is not our friend. In the reading plan that I'm still doing right now, in Hebrews 11, it's a whole chapter about this idea of holding on to hope by faith. The writer of Hebrews says, this is what the ancients were commended for. And he talks about Moses and Abraham and Daniel and all these different individuals that have gone before us that held on to hope by faith faith, it talks about all that they had done. And verse one says, now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the evidence of things that we don't see. I can say all day long, and most of us would nod our heads, there's a lot of hopelessness going on. There's a lot of, of, of sense of futility and frustration and anger and, and, and this, this tension that the temperature is getting turned up day after day after day. And, and we feel that. We see that. We, we just navigate our world today, and it all feels wonky and, and, and wild, and this temperature is so high. And yet when you and I live with this sense of hope, it causes us to look differently. Verse 24, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? You know what? Today on October 18th at, at you know, 10 o'clock in the morning, I can't wait to meet in this building again someday. Now, some of you guys, if you're listening, are going, well, we're here. 
You know, I just want to tell you guys, I, I found this girl named Heather, and I, I love her, and I can't wait to get married to her someday. <laughs> I'm stoked about it. And if you know me at all, you're like, aren't you already married? Like, don't, there's a ring? Like, what's the deal here? Don't you already have, like, four kids and, like, a bunch of years together? Paul, I'm trying to help you understand. Paul is saying, you don't hope for what you already have. I can't wait to wear a, a brown and black plaid shirt on a Sunday morning because it's going to look amazing. I'm already doing it. Now, I don't know if it looks amazing or not, but anyway, that's beside the point. I can't wait till I have a full puffy beard. I'm trying really hard, you guys, to grow a beard. I'm trying. It's been, um, it's been 12 days. I'm trying to get at least through the month of October. And I realize that it's really gray and I'm going to look about 10 years older as soon as it kind of starts to grow. There's nothing on the sides. What do you, does anyone, if you have help, send me an email going, here's what you need to do because that looks ridiculous. Okay, just, I hope I can grow a full beard, but I'm trying really hard. Paul says we don't hope for what we already have. That's not hope. Erwin McManus is a pastor and somebody that I've got to be around a little bit, and, and, and I was listening to him the other day talking about this. He says this, now I don't know about you, but I have a lot more confidence in what I have than what I hope for. Listen to this carefully, please. How about you? In fact, you can explain a lot of our misery because of our confidence in what we have over what we hope for. People are miserable in their jobs and their lives because they are more confident in what they have than what they hope for. What he's saying is it's so easy for you and I to settle for what already is because what already is already is. Am I saying that super clear? You're like, is this a riddle? Like, what's going on? But there's, when you and I live by faith, when you and I live with a sense of hope, I eagerly anticipate better days. I eagerly anticipate things changing. I eagerly anticipate something better because that's what I'm called to in Christ. Trust in something better. Trust in something greater. So if you ask me, Nick, what are you eagerly anticipating? You know what I'm eagerly anticipating? The day that we get to have a baptismal in here and get to hear stories of life change and we cry our eyes out watching people take a step. You know what I'm anticipating? The continued sense of reaching out into our community to help families that are struggling, whether it's through COVID and getting meals or it's a sense, you know, drug addictions and marriage brokenness or whatever else and going, what can we do to help families live life that are called to live? What do we do to help people hear the message of the gospel of Christ? Because COVID is not gonna sidetrack the gospel. That's foolishness. We're not gonna let that happen, but I've tried to say for seven months now, don't think that, that this is the church. People get tied up in knots because they walk in and go, why does it say auditorium? Shouldn't it say sanctuary? And do you know that years ago we changed the name of this room intentionally? Because I don't want people thinking that they come to church. You don't come to church. You are the church. That's why I've said, look, don't let the gospel be sidetracked because we can't gather. I don't like that we can't gather. I didn't appreciate that our last meeting in this room was the annual business meeting. We're dismissing going, hey, see you next week. Yeah, right. See you in seven months. Who would have believed that? But at the same time, over a period of seven months, I'm just going to say this. I don't believe that the kingdom has to suffer. 
I don't. If you know church history at all, and as I continue to look at furthering education, I'm going to either pick church history or leadership or both because as you look at church history, those times in certain regimes in the history of the world where, where, where Christians were persecuted or where faith was set aside or they weren't allowed to meet, China is a great example. Forever under a communist regime, Christianity was outlawed and, and Westerners weren't always allowed to visit and, and, and travel and do what they wanted to do. And, and people in the Western world who didn't know what was going on in China assumed the church in China was, was, was probably you know, almost non-existent, suffering doing terrible. And all of a sudden, as, as Western individuals from the Western world were able to travel to China, there was reports coming back, you guys don't understand. In the midst of terrible times, the church is actually thriving. How do you explain that? Hope. All you gotta do is read the book of Acts where there was all kinds of reasons they couldn't gather and all kinds of persecution happening. And yet it says that we, we, we call it, in theological terms, we call this the diaspora. It's as the church was forced to scatter because of persecution that the message was forced to go out to the world. I'm just going to be honest, and I, it's not because I'm amazing or have some, some you know, perfect attitude about it, but I'm always thinking about when, when something looks like a loss, how can we win? And I want to challenge you to think about that. When something in our world looks like a loss, how can we win? That's what hope does. Hope helps create a future. If we live with hopelessness, think about this. If we live with hopelessness, then all we do is circle the wagons and, 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 and kind of have this sense of anxiety and depression and frustration and angst that has nowhere to go. But Paul says, look, we feel the angst. We're not stupid. We feel all that we feel just like everyone else, but we eagerly await something that God is doing. Verse 25 says, but if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Look, I'm not going to stand up here and act like I have all the answers. But I will say that one of the answers we've got to anchor ourselves to is that we're hopeful. We're hopeful. I've, sh I've shared this idea before, but it's amazing to me that we can exist as followers of Christ and look like we're dipped in pickle juice. Like this sour. <laughs> Heather and I were talking about my notes, and, and she always helps sharpen my messages, always, because um, she's so good at it. And, and she said, you know, it reminds me of something I was reading in Daniel the other day. And as I got to looking into it, it kind of blew me away. In the book of Daniel, um, Daniel is a prophet of the Lord, and he, he, he serves God and he puts his life on the line. We've heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den because he prayed faithfully and got persecuted for it and, and God redeemed him and stuff. And as, as he's, he's like, has this influence, um, there's a point in chapter eight where the Lord shows Daniel a vision and he's really distraught by it. And then the Lord sends, um, sends like an angel, the Lord, to, to help interpret this vision. And Daniel's literally like, that didn't help at all. Like, it's kind of humorous, like, 
thanks, Lord, you're not helping me here. Um, but I, if you look, and again, if you're taking notes, write down Daniel 8, 27. Listen to what it says. I, Daniel, was worn out. Anybody want to go, hey, you can throw my name in there. <laughs> I, Nick, am worn out. Like there's so much going on and so many things. What do we do and how do we do it? And we want to do it right. And what's persecution and what's not? And what's COVID? And how do we get to the truth? And what's political? And is all this going to end by November 3rd? I mean, what's happening? I can say just like, I'm worn out with this stuff. All of it. I lay exhausted for several days. Anyone? Bueller? I was worn out. I lay exhausted for several days. Then I got up and went about the king's business. I realize in Daniel that means something totally different than what we're talking about here, but it still applies. Paul says, absolutely we groan. Absolutely we feel all that we feel. Absolutely we process just like anyone else. This world is nuts. But he says, we do it differently because we hold on to hope. And so we can be worn out and we can feel tired and we can lay around for a few days going, I just don't get it. But at what point are we going to get it where Daniel says, then I got up and went about the business of the king. I'm preaching a lot better than you're responding. And I get that. Okay. We're, we're warming into this in-person thing. Okay. I totally get that. But that's how I feel right now. Like, you know what? I am not going to give up on the business of the king. And the business of the king, just to be clear, is the Great Commission. Help make disciples wherever you go. Help people see Jesus wherever you go. How do you respond to all that's happening? It's understandable that we process and groan. But at what point do we get up and go, I'm shining the light anyways. I'm going forward anyways. First of all, I have a hope for eternity, which by the way, I have prayed many times, Lord, can we just wrap this up? Anybody else with me? Like, let's just, come on, let's go. Like, I don't know if I gotta get outside so my head doesn't get stuck on the ceiling at this point, but you know, rapture and go and okay, here we go. I have full confidence that when it comes to eternity, I don't fear what's gonna happen. I'm ready because of who Christ is. So I hold on to that hope, which, which is an always hope, a forever hope, it, it, all the time. But I also hold on to the hope that however long I have breath and however long you're alive, God has a plan. And I don't want to let go of that because things are tough, because things are weird. Like we could look at this and go, gosh, how depressing. We can only get 100 people in here and, and we all have to wear masks and we've got to sit distance from one another and we're saying, please don't hug each other and I don't want to sing with a mask on. I wish I'd have to wear one at all. What is this? We could just think that way. Or you can do what I'm doing. And it makes me want to cry, by the way. At least we can take a step. I'll take it. At least we can kind of be together. It's easier to see your face here than through a windshield. Just being honest. And so I hold out hope. And I want us to be dealers of hope. I want us to hold on to who Jesus is in the midst of a world that, that looks like it's sour, looks like it's angry, looks like it's bitter, looks like it's stuck. Paul admits, hey, look, this is life. It's tough. 
what sin does to mess us all up is tough. But let's not forget the eager expectation. God, what do you have next? God, what are you doing next with us? What does tomorrow look like? What does the rest of today look like? Who needs hope where you live? Who needs hope where you go to work if you go to work right now? Who needs a light of Christ at a supermarket? Maybe you got a mask on, but they can see your crow's feet as you smile. We're believing for a lot better because that's the king's business. And I'll be honest, I don't know what it all looks like, but I refuse to give up. I don't know what it all looks like, but instead of being sour about like, well, we got to wear masks and be dissing in a gathering only 100. Hey, we're here. I'm good. That's a step. At least it's a step. The problem with hopelessness is there's no dreaming. The problem with hopelessness is there's no anticipating what's next. The problem with hopelessness is that we embrace our current reality without realizing that we're not looking to what's going to be because God is true in his promises. It doesn't mean life's easy. And Paul says, hey, groan. Go ahead, groan. (laughs) But just don't camp out there. Just don't stay there for too very long. Anticipate, God, I don't know what you have but I know it's going to be better. And I'm holding on to it. As a pastor, I'm holding on to it. And I'm here to grovel about how tough it is. And we've all got it tough. I know we do. But I'm not giving up hope. Let's not give up hope. Scott Dorsey is, is, is a good friend that sends me encouraging messages. And he also gives me the stats on our county and medically how things are going with ER and all that stuff, just so I can read for myself, not just what the news would say or whatever. And I appreciate it a ton, but as a believer in Christ, the other day he sent me another encouraging message. He said this, I read this passage this morning and I love how it just goes right along with, with these notes. So I added this to my notes. The thing that struck me was that eternal life isn't something in the future, it's now. If we are living eternal life now, then how much differently should we be living? And then he referenced 1 John 2. If you're taking notes, write it down. 1 John 2, verses 24 and 25. As for you, what you have heard from the beginning must remain in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he himself made to us, eternal life. And what John is referring to there is that eternal life is an everyday thing, a hope that we hold on to all the time. And my prayer as we end today, and I'm going to pray and we're done, is that we unfriend hopelessness. And in some ways, it takes the form of God, forgive me for playing to all that I see. Forgive me for playing to what currently is. Forgive me, forgive me for allowing myself to live in a lane where all it is is anxiety and, and, and fear or hopelessness and all that. And God, I invite hope to be my friend again. So I'm gonna pray and we'll wrap up. And by the way, our gatherings are a little bit shorter because as we're transitioning from the room just with the system we have in place and then with drive-in, it's just the way it's gonna be. So there'll be about 35 to 45 minutes Sunday to Sunday, just as a heads up. Um, but let's pray. Father, thank you for the hope that you provide. And I do pray that you would forgive us where we get wrapped up in all that's happening in a way that it causes something else to have that focus. Even as we talked about in worship, 
Even as we sang in that song, I'm coming back to it. It's about you. And I pray that as we focus on you and lean into you, that God, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Rise it up in every one of us that as we walk out of here, that we literally would have drawn the line in the sand. I refuse to give in to hopelessness. That I can look at my current reality and it makes me groan. Yes, true. But even still, I anticipate, I eagerly expect that you've got something you're doing. And while I don't see it now, I trust it because that's what it means to live with hope. I don't have it yet, but I'm holding on to it moving forward. Jesus, help us live that way. It's in your name we pray today. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.